What can you expect from an experienced financial advisor? Are all advisors alike? And will the right advisor really make a positive difference? Your Financial Journey is a podcast brought to you by Providence Wealth Advisors, LLC, a wholly owned affiliate of Providence Bank and Trust. In this series, members of the PWA team discuss the importance of planning, relevant developments, and investment strategies geared to help you achieve your wealth management goals and to provide you with experience, guidance, and support every step of the way. Welcome. This is Doug DeGroat from Providence Wealth Advisors. On this podcast, we're going to discuss some thoughts and strategies on retirement planning. I have with me today Jay Failer, who is also at Providence Wealth Advisors and the IRA Retirement Planning Specialist within our group. Whenever we have questions internally about these issues, we always look to Jay for his insight. Welcome, Jay. Thank you for inviting me on the podcast, Doug. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Thank you. Um, as, as many of you may know, retirement planning can be very complex. Not only are there many different vehicles available to taxpayers for retirement savings, the field of retirement planning is subject to congressional legislation, U.S. Treasury regulations, Department of Labor regulations, and IRS rulings. Not surprisingly, it is quite easy to become overwhelmed and bewildered by this topic. To try to keep things as simple as possible, today I thought what we would try to do is to provide our listeners with some general overview of the major vehicles available for retirement savings and how new money can be deposited into those vehicles. In future podcasts, we will discuss the procedures and ramifications of withdrawing money from retirement savings accounts and also what happens to a taxpayer's retirement balance after they pass away. And finally, we will devote a podcast to employer retirement plans, which affect many of us who are still working. So let's get right into it and take a look at some of the things an individual taxpayer can do to save for retirement. And Jay, this is where I think you can help guide us through this part of our discussion. So Jay, let me turn it over to you. Jay? Thank you very much. Um... As Doug mentioned, there is a wide variety of retirement savings options available to taxpayers. Some of them, like Social Security, are administered by the federal government. Others, such as 401k and profit-sharing plans, might be offered by a taxpayer's employer. But first, I thought we would discuss the main retirement plan that is controlled solely by the individual taxpayer, and that is the Individual Retirement Arrangement, or IRA. As some of our listeners might know, there are two types of IRAs that are available to the individual taxpayer, the traditional IRA and the Roth IRA. So today, we would like to go over the main features of each type of account so our listeners can see how they differ from one another, and then we will discuss the major rules for depositing money into each type of IRA via annual contributions. So first up is the traditional IRA. Perhaps the most significant feature of the traditional IRA is the fact that the earnings generated by the account are tax-deferred. This means that as long as the investment earnings remain in the account, they are shielded from federal and state income taxes. Traditional IRA earnings only become taxable when they are withdrawn from the account, and over a long period of time, Shielding investment earnings from taxes in this manner can be a greatly beneficial tactic for accumulating retirement savings. Another potential benefit of a 
traditional IRA is that the taxpayer might be able to take a tax deduction for their annual contribution. I will discuss that possibility in more detail a little bit later in our presentation today. So Jay, maybe you can explain to us how does that differ from a Roth IRA? Well, first of all, unlike a traditional IRA, annual contributions to a Roth IRA are never tax deductible. Roth contributions are always made with after-tax dollars, so when comparing the two types of IRAs, that is a potential disadvantage to the Roth IRA. However, by foregoing a tax deduction for their annual contribution, Roth IRA owners have the potential to partake in a unique and very significant benefit concerning the earnings on their account. Just like a traditional IRA, as long as the investment earnings produced by a Roth IRA remain in the account, they are shielded from federal and state income taxes. However, unlike a traditional IRA, if Roth IRA earnings remain in the account for at least five years following a taxpayer's initial Roth contribution, and the earnings are withdrawn from the account for one of several allowable reasons, the earnings are not only tax deferred, but they become completely tax free. And that is potentially a huge tax advantage for the Roth IRA owner. So Jay, just kind of thinking back about some, some recent news, I think we saw a pretty dramatic example of that a couple of months ago, didn't we? Yes, we sure did. Um, some of our listeners might have heard the story of uh, PayPal co-founder Peter Thiel when it was revealed several months ago that he has amassed a Roth IRA balance of close to $5 billion, and that's billion with a B. Um, this is particularly impressive given that Roth IRAs started in 1998, and the annual Roth IRA contribution limit has never exceeded $7,000. No one knows exactly how Mr. Thiel grew his Roth account so dramatically, but it is known from SEC filings that in January 1999, Mr. Thiel purchased 1.7 million shares of then-private PayPal stock for $1,700. That amounts to a tenth of a penny per share. PayPal stock began trading publicly in February of 2002 at $13 a share, and it was up to $20 a share by the end of its first trading day. Today, the stock is currently trading at $250 a share. Assuming that Mr. Thiel owns the same shares today that he did back then, his $1,700 investment has generated a gain of roughly $425 million. And if he made his $1,700 stock purchase from within his Roth IRA, all of that gain will be completely tax-free under current Roth IRA rules if he withdraws the money after he reaches the age of 59 and a half. Wow. Uh, one of the many investors I wish I was related to. Um, perhaps I can convince him I'm his long-lost cousin. Give it a try, Doug, and let me know how that goes. If it works, I think I'm going to try to persuade him to adopt me. I don't think either one of us should hold our breath in that regard, though. At any rate, as a result of the disclosure concerning the rather mammoth Roth IRA balances of Mr. Thiel and several other high net worth individuals, legislation has been proposed in Congress that would significantly curtail the benefits of retirement accounts like Roth IRAs for super wealthy individuals. Um, nevertheless, the tax-free nature of Roth IRA earnings are likely to remain available for most taxpayers. All right. That's great, Jay. Thanks. So, so now that we know some of the most significant features of traditional and Roth IRAs, 
Let's talk about depositing money into those accounts. How much can a taxpayer contribute to their IRAs in, a, in any given year? That's a good question, Doug, and that amount has changed over time. Um, after holding the annual contribution limit to 2000 per year for roughly 20 years, Congress decided to raise the limit to 3000 in 2003. Since that time, they've raised the limit usually by $500 or $1,000 every five years or so. So today, for the 2021 tax year, the statutory annual IRA contribution limit for taxpayers under the age of 50 is $6,000. Taxpayers who are 50 years old or older are entitled to make what's called a catch-up contribution of up to $1,000, which makes their contribution limit $7,000. Whichever limit applies, it is important to keep in mind that this is a combined limit for both types of IRAs. So, for example, a 52-year-old individual can conceivably contribute, say, $5,000 to a Roth IRA and $2,000 to a traditional IRA, but they could not contribute $7,000 to each type of account. Hey, Jay, now that you've kind of outlined that, that, does this mean anyone can contribute to an IRA? Um, no, it is not quite that simple. Um, even though the tax law allows for annual contributions up to six or $7,000, depending on the taxpayer's age, both types of IRAs have unique eligibility requirements that must be met before an individual can make an IRA contribution. And these requirements might limit an individual's annual contribution amount to something less than the statutory maximum or even disallow a particular type of contribution altogether. Okay, so with that in mind, Jay, uh, what can you tell us about those eligibility requirements? Well, the main requirement for making an annual contribution to either type of IRA is that the taxpayer must have what is called earned income. For purposes of determining IRA contribution eligibility, the two most common forms of earned income are job-related income, such as salaries, wages, tips, bonuses, commissions, and things like that, and also taxable alimony counts as earned income as well. Conversely, any type of investment income like dividends, interest, capital gains, rental income, or retirement income like you know, retirement plan distributions, annuities, social security payments, uh, those do not qualify as earned income for this purpose. Also, please keep in mind that a taxpayer may not contribute more than their earned income to their IRA. For example, if a 53-year-old taxpayer earns a total of $3,000 for the year at their part-time job, the most they would be able to contribute to their IRA would be $3,000, not the full $7,000 permitted by the main statute. The earned income requirement is now the only eligibility requirement that must be met in order to make a traditional IRA contribution. Up through 2019, taxpayers age 70 and a half or older were not permitted to make a traditional IRA contribution at all. That age restriction was removed with the passage of the SECURE Act in December of 2019. Uh, beginning in tax year 2020, there's no longer an age restriction for annual contributions to traditional IRAs, and that actually brought the traditional IRA in line to the Roth IRA in that regard, since there has never been an age restriction for uh, making annual Roth IRA contributions or any other type of retirement contribution for that matter. So, Jay, in, in, in looking at the Roth, um, are there any additional requirements for making a, a specific Roth contribution? Um, yes, there are. And the additional requirement it takes the form of an income restriction. 
if a taxpayer's modified adjusted gross income is greater than or equal to a certain level, they are prohibited from making an annual Roth IRA contribution entirely. For 2021, the MAGI thresholds are $140,000 for single filers and $208,000 for married taxpayers filing jointly. So to go back to our 53-year-old with the 3,000 in earned income, if she is single and her modified adjusted gross income is, say, $142,000, she would not be eligible to make a Roth IRA contribution, even though she met the earned income requirement. So to sum up, to make an annual contribution to a traditional IRA, all the taxpayer needs is earned income. To make an annual contribution to a Roth IRA, the taxpayer needs earned income and their modified adjusted gross income has to be below a certain level. Okay. Uh, is there anything else we should keep in mind about annual IRA contributions? Um, yes. If it's okay, I'd like to go back to traditional IRAs for a moment. Um, earlier on, I mentioned that one of the potential advantages to a traditional IRA account is that the account owner might be entitled to a tax deduction for some or all of their annual contribution. Determining whether a traditional IRA contribution is tax deductible will, will depend on three things. The IRA owner's tax filing status, their modified adjusted gross income level, and whether or not the IRA owner and or their spouse is covered by a qualified retirement plan at work. The formula for determining an account owner's traditional IRA tax deduction is too complicated to go into here, but any tax deductions related to traditional IRA contributions are reported on line 19 of IRS Form 1040, Schedule 1. The IRS's instruction booklet for Form 1040 contains a two-page IRA deduction worksheet, which, when completed, will show how much, if any, an individual's traditional IRA contribution is tax-deductible. For listeners who might be interested, that worksheet appears on pages 94 and 95 of the instruction booklet for the 2020 version of IRS Form 1040. The booklet can be found in the Forms and Instructions and publication section of the irs.gov website. Okay, Jay, so we've talked a little bit about the, the dollars uh, and limits that can be allocated to both a traditional IRA and Roth IRA. What about the time frame for making these annual IRA contributions? Another excellent question, Doug. Um, for both traditional and Roth IRAs, individuals have up until the unextended tax filing due date of their federal tax return to make annual contributions for a particular tax year. So for most taxpayers, the filing due date for their federal tax return is April 15th of the following year, give or take or two, depending on if the 15th happens to fall on a weekend. Looking at the current tax year as an example, taxpayers have until Friday, April 15, 2022, to make an annual IRA contribution for the 2021 tax year. It's important to keep in mind that this contribution cannot be extended by the taxpayer. So even if an individual applies for an automatic six-month tax filing extension and has their 2021 tax filing due date postponed until the middle of October of 2022, their 2021 Roth IRA or traditional IRA contribution deadline will remain April 15, 2022. Only the IRS can extend the annual IRA contribution deadline, and though they've done it in each of the past two years in light of the 
COVID pandemic, they're not expected to do so for the 2021 tax year. All right, Jay, that's great. Um, as, as we wrap up the IRA portion of our discussion, is there anything else you'd like to add? Yes. Um, impossible, though, it might be to believe this discussion has only been a very broad and generalized overview of the rules and procedures governing annual IRA contributions. All of the topics we've covered here in this podcast come with various wrinkles, caveats, ifs, ands, buts, and even a few downright exceptions that we are not able to address today due to time constraints. Additionally, please keep in mind that the rules governing IRAs change frequently. The modified adjusted gross income limits I mentioned are usually raised by one or $2,000 every year. The statutory annual contribution limit typically gets raised every five years or so. The current $6,000 limit has actually been in place since 2019. And sometimes Congress passes a major piece of legislation like the SECURE Act, which throws the entire retirement planning industry into a frenzy. For all these reasons, it is imperative that an individual consult with their tax advisor before contributing to any type of IRA account. Their advisor will be able to verify that the individual meets all the contribution qualifications. They can determine the amount of the taxpayer's allowable contribution, and they can discuss which is the most advantageous type of IRA to use given that taxpayer's particular financial circumstances. Both traditional and Roth IRAs can be very lucrative long-term vehicles for retirement savings, and most taxpayers will find it pretty easy to take advantage of at least one of them, but the occasional complexity of the IRA rules always makes consultation with a tax advisor a very prudent idea. So again, we strongly recommend you consult with your tax advisors before contributing to an IRA. And with that, I think I'll conclude my comments and turn it back over to you, Doug. Well, thanks, Jay. And um, as our listeners uh, can certainly glean from this discussion, you can see why we lean on Jay for uh, answers to many of these complex questions. So uh, thank you again, Jay. As we conclude, I hope we have provided some basic information on retirement planning using an IRA. There certainly are a lot of tax concepts that you need to be aware of, just as Jay noted. So we would encourage you to review and discuss matters with your tax professional as you embark on your strategy, or certainly you can always reach out to Jay at Providence Wealth Advisors. In closing, be sure to subscribe to Your Financial Journey on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Until next time, when we will continue our retirement planning discussion, thanks for listening. Providence Wealth Advisors, LLC, or PWA, is a wholly owned affiliate of Providence Bank and Trust, or PB&T. The investment products and services offered by PWA are independent of the products and services offered by PB&T and are not FDIC insured, may lose value, are not bank guaranteed, and are not insured by any federal or state government agency. Investment products and services are offered by appropriately licensed investment advisor representatives, subject to the general oversight and authority of PWA. PWA is an SEC-registered investment advisor company. To obtain a copy of their ADV Part 2A and Form CRS, visit www.providencewealth.com. PWA is located throughout the Chicagoland area and Northwest Indiana. To contact PWA, call 888-927-7387, email askexperts at providencewealth.com, or write to 20220 South LaGrange Road, Frankfort, Illinois, 60423.